0: Hawking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Or Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at OceanStateBirdClub.org and follow us on Facebook ocean state bird club good morning
2: welcome to our show number would you believe 700, 700, 700. <laughs> yep 700 that's 350 hours of talking birds and for however many of those hours you've been with us thanks for listening So how to keep birds from crashing into buildings during their nocturnal migration flights? Lights out. That's right, turn the lights out. That's kind of the idea behind FLAP. FLAP Canada, that is the group that 25 years ago came up with the idea that if we turned off some of the lights in tall buildings during migration periods, we could save a lot of birds that might otherwise perish in collisions and save a lot of electricity as well. And on today's show, we'll learn something about FLAP Canada. FLAP is the acronym for Fatal Light Awareness Program. And how it started and what is now a worldwide effort to protect birds from crashing into buildings at night and during the day. We'll talk to the man who was there with FLAP as co-founder at the beginning. And we'll hear about his unforgettable and poignant experience with a tiny warbler that offered him its final serenade. Meanwhile, the following continues the building collision theme, though it may not sound like it at first. We're big Red Sox fans around here, of course, and we're pretty exhausted (laughs) staying up late, but it was worth it. We're also fans of all the other great Boston teams, and that certainly includes the Celtics. But we're offering a shout-out here to a different NBA team. That would be the Milwaukee Bucks, And that's because of their very special new arena, FISERV Forum, which is described as the world's first bird-friendly sports arena. Pending a successful application process, FISERV Forum is expected to achieve a U.S. Green Building Council bird collision deterrence credit because of the way it addresses the primary reasons that birds collide with buildings, reflective and see-through glass, and lighting that disorients birds during their migration flights. One of the organizations that helped make this happen, by the way, is the American Bird Conservancy. And we'll be talking with ABC's Collisions campaign manager, Brian Lentz, about how they made FISAR forum bird friendly on an upcoming Talking Bird show. That is the sound and a preview of our mystery bird and our mystery bird contest. We'll be doing the actual contest in uh, just a little bit. We have a, an extra special bonus prize on our mystery bird contest this morning from our friends at Birds and Beans, makers of delicious and bird-friendly coffee, plus a beautiful Droll Yankees feeder, the Bottoms Up Finch feeder, discourages birds like uh, house sparrows, for example, but encourages lots of other birds that you'd like to see at your feeder because they can feed Upside down, and we'll have another chance to get an access to the Larkwire app, a really cool app for your phone that makes a bird a learning bird sounds a game. So we'll have those on our mystery bird contest this morning. Here are some clues to uh, get you ready for the contest coming along a bit later. Our mystery bird is a large and brightly colored finch and a favorite winter visitor to bird feeders during eruption years when birds move in large numbers. Two portions of the lower 48 Our bird which breeds in the northern U.S., Canada, and mountainous regions of the western U.S. Feeds on a wide variety of small fruits and seeds, especially from maple trees. It also eats insects and other invertebrates. A little tease there, a preview of our mystery bird contest uh, coming along in just uh, uh, a little bit here. Meanwhile, on our Facebook page...
1: Extra, extra, read all about it.
2: Some of the stories and videos we have for you this extra, week. Extra, if you're thinking about doing some still some bird-friendly planting in your yard this fall and you're in a northern state, extra, extra, folks at the, the National Wildlife it. Federation recommend that you consider berry producers like sumac of various varieties or American holly. If you're in the southeast, wax myrtle consider uh, considered a good one to plant for birds. In the southwest of California, saltbush, a good berry-bearing plant for your birds. More details about all that on our Talking Birds Facebook page. If you'd like to see some really funny photos of birds and bears, moose and monkeys, hippos and hyenas, and elephants and elephant seals, be sure to pay a visit to our page to see the finalists in photography.net, 2018 Comedy Wildlife Photography awards competition and how would you like to do less work in your yard and have more birds visiting in the process we 'll connect you to a way to do that with the, from the courtesy of the folks at National Audubon. Some of the stories on our Facebook page right now you can find uh, some of those on our or on uh, just through an online search still to come on our show today we 'll talk with Michael Mazuura from Flap Canada about ongoing efforts to save birds from crashing into buildings plus we'll catch up with our man mike o'connor in our let's ask mike segment his topic this morning is uh, woodpeckers and the bird that inspired the legendary roger torrey peterson meanwhile halloween's just a few days away so for today's featured feathered friend we dip into the talking birds archive to find a bird that some find just a little frightening it's a relative of last week's featured bird the blue jay but when it comes to vocalizing it outdoes uh, that mimicking musician, as we're about to hear. Presented by Birdwatching Magazine for more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Our featured feathered friend, right after this brief message.
1: Hi, I'm Debbie Bleacher, Talking Birds Senior Producer. We bring you Talkin' Birds every week because we care about birds and the environment. We know you care, too, so we try to keep you informed about small things like hummingbird eggs, big things like climate change, and everything in between. But here's what's troubling. Since so many of us care about birds and the environment, how come 15.78 million American environmentalists didn't vote in the midterm elections in 2014? Our votes matter for the health of birds and all wildlife, so let's do better this time around. We pledged to vote on November 6th. How about you? For more information and to register to vote, go to environmentalvoter.org. That's environmentalvoter.org.
2: Edgar Allan's poem, The Raven Said, Nevermore. But that's a word no longer heard, a relic from days of yore. Today the raven would choose, and I think there's no doubt about it, instead of the word nevermore, the phrase forget about it. Ah, the common raven, sure to give you goosebumps if he comes tap, tap, tapping at your door. Of course, he might ring your bell instead, what with him being among the smartest of birds and tough enough to survive in Arctic, temperate and desert environments. He's also an acrobatic flyer. often seen doing rolls and somersaults and even flying long distances upside down. From above or below, he's dressed in glossy black, looking like a crow on avian growth hormone. The male looks just like the female, but he's slightly larger, Otherwise, look for a large, slightly curved bill and a long wedge-shaped tail and long pointed wings showing those extended finger-like primary feathers when he's soaring, as he does like a hawk or eagle. And beneath those elongated throat feathers come these throaty and amazing sounds. The remarkable common raven. Our featured feathered friend, here on Talkin' Birds. Welcome again to our show number 700. Thanks for being with us. As always, we invite you to visit our website, TalkinBirds.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Birds. Michael Mazur is co-founder and executive director of Flap Canada. Flap Fatal Light Awareness Program, and he joins us right now from uh, just north of Toronto, Ontario. Michael, good morning. Good morning. Great to have you on with us. Uh, We're celebrating 700 shows, uh, uh, Michael, but this year you're celebrating 25 years, right, with Flap Canada.
3: That's correct, founded in 1993.
2: So, 1993, and you've done a lot of things then, many spin offs and great expansion, all in the process and the goal of saving birds. What, what really triggered the founding of uh, FLAP?
3: Oh, my. Uh, well, I, uh, I had learned through a friend back in actually 1989 of uh, how cities like Toronto, during the migration seasons, at tall, brightly lit structures, um, would be locations for uh, high volumes of bird collisions as these neotropical migrating species pass through the region. had to go down and check this out myself, and upon arrival I, lo and behold, opened the door and there's a bird and a bird and a bird, one after the other along the sidewalks. So, I found myself becoming more and more captivated by this and, uh, just patrol the downtown core from time to time, but then one particular morning, which always chokes me up, it's taken me 25 years not to cry when telling the story, mm-hmm. but uh, it changed my life. I, I uh, had encountered a, a morning where I, was, I had picked up well over 100 birds, my car is filled with uh, injured birds. As I'm driving along, this one particular bird uh, escaped from the paper bag that it was contained in and would fly around inside my vehicle trying to find a way out, but. Uh, this one in particular instead flew in and perched itself on my rearview mirror and began to sing inside my vehicle as I'm driving up the highway. And I was just totally captivated by this. It lasted all about 10 seconds. And then this bird fluffed its feathers out and dropped uh, dead in my lap. And I was just overcome by every emotion possible. And I found on that particular day my whole approach to this issue changed dramatically and I became more organized and I pulled together a whole uh, uh, little by little gamut of people and by 1989 there was a core group of us that we decided to uh, found the organization flopped.
2: What a story and as it says on your website who would have thought that in a moment the voice of just one bird would be sung loud enough to change the world. No, yeah. wonder, no wonder you get emotional Michael every time you yeah. you tell that story. Well, after you came to the realization or learned more about the fact that uh, these nighttime collisions were occurring and affecting so many birds, um, I guess you became uh, aware then about all the daytime collisions and how that was an even bigger problem.
3: Oh, yes. We we, we found that uh, as we finished our pre-dawn patrols, the day would break. And those that kind of stuck around a little bit after that found that they were picking up more birds. The more they stayed the more they picked up and mm. we very quickly learned that we have two problems and funny enough the the number of birds that we would pick up after daybreak would sometimes double sometimes triple what we would find at night mm. so we uh also started to change our educational efforts to include the daytime and through the years uh, this particular issue of daytime strikes has proven to be one of if not the leading cause of bird death across north america and um with that there was a tremendous amount of work to be done in trying to make sure that industry governments uh, members of the public would make the effort to try and mitigate this threat that their buildings
2: and did this is this sort of directly leaving leading to the bird safe um initiative
3: well yes interesting uh, about bird safe that is a call it a wing, a flap that we created um, that has uh, captured a number of different programs within it. Uh, one of the uh, campaigns that we've just recently launched uh, in past uh, the last week of September of this year is uh, basically trying to motivate anyone and everyone across the globe to enter a bird collision record they encounter during a seven day period. It's typically anywhere from the last week of September through the first week of October when we ho- will hold this event and uh... this mapping tool called the global bird collision mapper is uh... an interface that uses gps uh... it's an, an app that's uh, run through a website that allows an individual to be located through gps they, they click on the very side of the building where they have just found that bird and it will drop a collision entry and we've now have uh, over eleven thousand entries uh, from across north america and now starting to go from abroad um, and we hope to get more and more people using this tool because it's a very powerful way to send a very important message. And at the same time, an individual might even encounter a live bird that they can rescue, mm-hmm. perhaps rehabilitate, and release back into the wild. So it's, it's a very important aspect of one of the programs that we do.
2: And another aspect, getting in back to the nocturnal idea, Lights Out Toronto started in 2006, and that has expanded to uh, many other cities, including our hometown of Boston. Also, uh, San Francisco, uh, Washington, D.C., Chicago, um, Milwaukee, that we mentioned earlier about the uh, new uh, arena there, Indianapolis, uh, and that is really, is that gone outside of North America as well?
3: It's starting to appear in other parts uh, around the world, uh, namely Europe. And uh, what what started out is just a local education campaign to try and just raise the awareness within the community of Toronto. Um, we're seeing this, this effort, lights out uh, campaigns being addressed in other cities like you mentioned, and also uh, um, guidelines. Uh, there's now what started here in Toronto we'll called the Bird-Friendly Development Guidelines, which was really a, at first a document to help educate architects and engineers on how to build new buildings with birds in mind. This has been picked up all across North America and other municipalities and other districts, and uh, so we're seeing more and more municipalities, it, namely across North America, that are taking this issue seriously enough. They're they're creating standards in their city for requirements for new construction. Um, they're making concerted efforts to educate people in their community about this issue. So this is definitely a growing um, uh, sort of movement, a very important movement. And here's the thing I always say about this particular issue for both the the nighttime and the daytime issue, this is one of those few uh, human-caused threats to wildlife that has got to be one of the easiest issues to resolve. There, There really isn't much effort, cost, Um, You know, change that needs to take place in order to mitigate this threat. So uh, we really just keep got to keep pushing this message message forward, and I'm quite confident in time this will become kind of a a socially unacceptable issue, Mm -hmm. and uh, that will have a great deal of power in the future.
2: Well, of course, this Lights Out program involves uh, turning out the lights of tall buildings with, for, uh, during migration periods with birds. And, and you're talking about the expense. And, of course, building uh, owners, developers can save money by turning out the lights as well.
3: Correct. Yeah, this is one aspect of this issue, the nighttime issue, um, is quite often embraced by building owners and operators, especially at large commercial structures. Because, let's face it, uh, there's money to be made here in, in the way of savings by simply encouraging people to use less light. And the fact of the matter is that we're all far too comfortable in the volume of light it takes that we feel makes us feel safe at night. And research will demonstrate time and time again is that in many cases, less light is more. And so, you know, by, by just trying to morph those all together, without even worrying about the issue of bird strikes, we're going to stand to save many, many birds in large urban centers like New York, Chicago, Toronto, by simply having these best practices of light reduction.
2: We have uh, just a little time, Michael. I wonder if you could quickly just uh, talk about citizen science and the role of citizen scientists in, in all of this.
3: Oh, yes. Yeah. Citizen science, is, uh, as perhaps your listeners uh, already know it has become a, a very important in fact i believe crucial aspect of, of helping create the necessary change in order to prevent things like collisions with buildings bird collisions with buildings uh... the more people that participate in citizen science uh... it's like power of numbers and um, in in terms of uh... helping raise awareness but not only that it, it really helps demonstrate um, and capture data that's um, an isolated, sort of controlled um, uh, assessment of a given building or a given region, whatever it might be, the greater number of individuals that participate in citizen science, we get numbers faster, more plentiful, um, and, and capture data that otherwise would, would be lost if it wasn't done in this fashion. So the more and more people that use this type of opportunity, uh, and again, the, a great example is, mapper, we stand to save far more birds uh, and far more quickly.
2: Michael Mizier is co-founder and executive director of FLAP Canada, the Fatal Light Awareness Program. Please check out their website to learn more. There's a lot to learn there at FLAP.org. Michael, thank you so much and keep up the great work. Thank you so much
3: and congratulations on on your uh, 700 (laughs) broadcast.
2: Thank you so much. Coming up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. Mm -hmm. Well, in 2015, Noah Stricker set himself a lofty goal to become the first person to see half the world's birds in one year. He traveled across 41 countries in all seven continents, eventually spotting 6,042 species, by far the biggest birding year on record. He recorded it all in his memoir, Birding Without Borders, now available in paperback. This is no travelogue or glorified checklist. No adventures deep into a world of chronic sleep deprivation, airline snafus, breakdowns, mudslides, floods, war zones, ecologic devastation, conservation triumphs, common and iconic species, and scores of passionate bird lovers around the globe. By pursuing the freest creatures on the planet, he gains a unique perspective on the world they share with us and offers a hopeful message that even as many birds face an uncertain future, more people than ever are working to protect them. Birding Without Borders is available wherever books are sold. It's our mystery bird contest, and this is the sound of our mystery bird we have some beautiful prizes here, including an extra bonus prize, a 12-ounce bag of delicious bird-friendly birds and beans coffee that's grown under the natural forest canopy without fertilizers and herbicides and all that kind of stuff, and it's great coffee as well, and it's uh, good for the birds. It's a beautiful 12-ounce bag of birds and beans coffee, along with our Droll Yankees Bottoms Up Finch Feeder, and another bonus prize, a download... Or online access to the LarkWire app, a download to your iOS device if you have an iPhone, or online access the LarkWire app that makes learning bird sounds a game. It's fun, and you really can learn about uh, bird sounds. And it works, by the way, if you're a beginner or a more experienced birder. So, prizes on the contest, seven eight one eight three seven four nine hundred is the number. Our mystery bird is a large and brightly colored finch, a favorite winter visitor to bird feeders during eruption years. Our bird, which breeds in the northern U.S., Canada, and mountainous regions of the western U.S., feeds on a wide variety of small fruits and seeds, especially from maple trees. It also eats insects and other invertebrates. And think a lot of yellow when it comes to this mystery bird 7818374900 is the number 7818374900 meanwhile we'll check with mike o'connor on cape cod let's ask mike live in just 1 minute
1: talking birds we're for the birds and we want to say thanks to another talking birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation
0: my name is kim griffith and i'm calling from jackson hole wyoming i decided to become a talking birds ambassador because one of the things that i always live by is a quote from teddy roosevelt that says that your love of nature is only half served unless you share it with others and that's exactly what ray brown's talking birds does
1: Talkin' Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com, click on the contact button, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks.
2: Mike O'Connor is down there at the Bird Watchers general store, and this uh, music will serve to introduce him. And Mike, uh, welcome to what we think possibly is your 700th appearance on the show, here on our show, uh, number 700.
0: Holy smokes. Congratulations, Ray. You know, it, it seems like just last week it was like 699. I can't believe how this figure's going
2: by. Exactly. That last week just went by like there was only like, what, seven days or something between. Yeah, it was amazing. And yeah. well, we, we were trying to figure out if you were with us on our first show and uh we we have to go through we've got our collection of eight track tapes over here, and we're gonna go back and <laughs> yeah. and see if we can find uh, if you were on I there. I think
0: but, I was still in elementary school when you guys started the show, so I probably wasn't
2: I remember having to get permission from the teacher or something to, <laughs> to, to, to have, you, have you on the show but uh <laughs> anyway,
0: we're, today we're going to talk about i got um Roger Tory Peterson's—the bird that started Roger Tory Peterson on his world of birding when he was 11 years old. This was back in 1919, wow. just before you started the show. Exactly. And he was a little kid, and he was walking with his friend, and he saw feathers on the side of a tree, and he didn't know what where the feathers came from, so he went to touch them, just being mm-hmm. curious. And he had wakened the northern flicker. Uh, I think didn't even it's think awakening
2: a, again. We're hearing it here.
0: It's coming, it's coming awake. It's it's like you really do have the archives there, don't you?
2: (laughs) Whoa,
0: there he goes. And that started them on the world of birding. Then the flicker was just exhausted. Most of our woodpeckers, downies, hairies, even pileated and red bellies, they're not basically do very much migrating, but flickers are big time migrants, they travel great great distances. As a matter of fact, I have several customers say, you know, they get up in the morning and they'll see a dozen or more flickers in their yard. and They don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. because these birds are passing through. And the reason why they migrate and the others don't is because flickers depend on ants. They spend a lot of their time on the ground picking at ants and getting grubs and things off the ground and not as much, eat as much off the trees as the other woodpeckers. So when the winter comes and covers the ground, they don't have a food source, so they push further south. And they do this in long migrations, and most of the time during the, when they land, they fly at night or during the day, and they land, in this case, landed on the tree, and, and, and Roger found this exhausted bird that didn't even know he was coming up to it. And Death would start him on, on his way of birding. And, and the other woodpecker that is uh, noted for its long migration are the sapsuckers, again for the same reason. The yellow-bellied sapsuckers and the other sapsuckers depend on as that name indicates, sap. And when then the trees are frozen, there's no sap available. So again, they have to fly down from further north from Canada, and they get down in the southern part of the United States where they, where they can get sap year-round, and they come in. So there's your two woodpeckers that like to migrate: your northern flicker and your sap suckers.
2: Well, that northern flicker, that's a great bird to have as a spark bird. It's such a such a spectacular-looking bird.
0: Oh, that. it is. You know, when they fly, it, in out west they have the, the red shafted here, the yellow, but they're readily identifiable. They fly, they got that white patch in the back of the tail, and they flash that yellow, and, and out west it's flashy red, and it's kind of a good bird to see. So you might see more than one around this time of year.
2: All right, Mike, talk to you next week on show number 701. Oh, man, another one? Okay, I'll get ready. <laughs> All right. Mike O'Connor down there at the uh, legendary Bird Watchers General Store and we'll get back to our mystery bird contest uh, right after this. For over a quarter century, Bird Watching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Back at the Mystery Bird Contest, you're hearing the sound of our bird. What is it? 781 837 is the number to call. And I believe we have, uh, let's see, are we going to Sue in Dorchester, Massachusetts, part of the great city of Boston. Good morning, Sue. Hello, Sue. I'm hearing a strange hum, which is not usually a good sign uh, on these things, but Jesse is hard at work squaring this away. Uh, no, no Sue? Okay. How about Susan? We have Susan from Yarmouthport, Massachusetts, on beautiful Cape Cod. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Ray. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Thanks for calling in. And what uh, what do you think about our mystery bird? Uh, well, uh, how about the evening grosbeak? How about that? Exactly right. Nice job. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for calling in. I'm one of your ambassadors, too. Well, thank you so much for that. I wish we had more time <laughs> I to enjoy talk. enjoy it. Thank you very much. We're just out of time. We'll see you next okay. week. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. The
1: bird show. I like that.
0: I Ray Brown's Talking Birds.
1: Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store or Cape Cod birdwatchersgeneralstore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Ocean State Bird Club offers bird walks, lectures, and a quarterly newsletter all focused on the hundreds of bird species that pass through Rhode Island. Fall is the perfect time to bid farewell to the last of the summer migrants. Find us at oceanstatebirdclub.org and follow us on Facebook, Ocean State Bird Club. <laughs>